I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. As we start this morning, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, now as we come to this time of the preaching of your word, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And we do pray today that you would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Lord, as we study this text this morning, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are willing to obey and surrender complete allegiance to your glorious name. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, or excuse me, I'm sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's back up a little bit. Verse 10, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10 through 25 is where we are this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, looking at verses 10 through 25. And if you don't have a Bible, you can turn to... 142 in the Pew Bible. So grab a Pew Bible there and turn to page 142 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, then we invite you to take the Pew Bible as your own, and that's our gift to you today. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, looking at verses 10 through 25. Ross Perot once said, Talk is cheap, words are plentiful, deeds are precious. Talk is cheap, words are plentiful, deeds are precious. You know, the first commandment, we've already studied that, I am Yahweh, your God, you shall have no other gods before me. It calls us to pledge our allegiance, our undivided allegiance to God's authority over our lives. It is not a call for empty words. But for an activity of life, action in life, right? actions that show our allegiance to God over our lives, His authority over our lives. You know, a terrorist, you can imagine this, a terrorist could come into America and zealfully pledge allegiance to the United States of America yet go right outside and attack our institutions, attack our nation. And his actions would speak louder than his words, would they not? Well, unfortunately, so many Christians who profess allegiance to God with their words, yet their actions say something very different. Today's text challenges that. Today's text challenges us to demonstrate allegiance to God through acts of unwavering fidelity and faith grounded in God's faithfulness. That's the call upon us today. Demonstrate allegiance to God through acts of unwavering fidelity and faith grounded in God's faithfulness. 
So not just allegiance to God by words alone, but through action, through the activities of our very lives. And today we're going to see three practical ways you demonstrate your allegiance to God's authority. And so my hope today is that we would pledge our allegiance to God in more than just words. Now to remind you where we are in our text as we're working through the book of Deuteronomy. just want to remind you, I haven't reminded you, I don't think, in a while, but uh, I'll remind you today, Israel, and where we are in history, Israel is on the plains of Moab, just east of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to, to go into the land of promise, the promised land. And there God is renewing His covenant with them, the covenant that He had first made with their fathers back 40 years prior On Mount Sinai, now they come. Forty years later, that first generation has died off. And now this new generation is getting ready to go into the land of promise. And God is renewing His covenant with them. And so you have uh, the book of Deuteronomy is set out like that covenant. And so you have on the back of your handout today that covenantal structure. Deuteronomy is structured similar to an old Old Testament, ancient covenant. And so we have that kind of structure there. And so you can kind of use that. I've passed this out before, but here's another shot of it in case you might have lost that first one. But you you can see that structure there. And another aspect of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is made up of a series of sermons, a series of Mosaic sermons. Moses preaches a number of sermons to Israel, and Deuteronomy records those sermons. Right now, we're in the midst of that, the second sermon that Moses gives to the people of Israel. And this is a sermon on God's law. It's a sermon on God's law, the law that is attached to that covenant. The law that God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Obey my commands and this is God's commandments to the people of Israel as they are going into the land of promise now there's two parts to this sermon we've already covered the first part the first part were the general stipulations the ten commandments they're just general principles and now Moses has moved to the second phase of the sermon the second half or not really half but the second part of his sermon And these are the specific stipulations. So he's set out the general commandments, and now he's working out the the specifics, right? He's taking the general principles and applying them to specific situations that the people of Israel will face as they go into the land of promise so they'll know how to apply God's commandments in daily life. And so we're we're seeing that, and we will see that as we go through chapters 6 through 26 of Deuteronomy currently we're in the first part of that that set the the specific stipulations looking at how to apply that first commandment of giving complete allegiance to God now our task here as we look at these specific stipulations is then to understand them in the original context and learn how to apply them to our own context today So how do we demonstrate then our allegiance to God? How do you 
How do you demonstrate your allegiance to God? Well, first of all, we see here in the text that you demonstrate your allegiance to God with unwavering fidelity to God. You demonstrate your allegiance to God with unwavering fidelity to God. Look at the first part of that, our text this morning, starting in chapter 10, or verse 10, excuse me. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards that, and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, watch this, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, Israel, as you go into this land of milk and honey, as you go into this prosperous land, and you have this abundance of prosperity laid upon you, be careful. Here's the warning. Take care. Be careful. Watch out. Lest you forget the Lord your God. You know, the danger of prosperity is becoming a practical atheist. Let me say that again. The the danger of prosperity is becoming a practical atheist, right? You, you say you believe in God, but you live as though he does not exist. What often happens as people experience prosperity in their lives, they begin to allow other people and other things, even their prosperity, right? They allow those things to take priority over God. Israel certainly exhibited that. That's what they did. Israel ended up, as we go on through history, we look at their history, Israel ended up idolizing other nations and their prosperity and the way they did things. They idolized the the gods of these other nations, so much so that in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, God says to Israel, this people draws near to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. They were going through the motions, the religious motions they were gathering together on Sabbath. And they were making the sacrifices and they were singing the songs and they were clapping their hands and, and they were doing all of these things, going through the motion. Oh yes, we believe in Yahweh. Yahweh is our God. Yet, when they left the synagogue, when they left the temple, when they left the tabernacle, their heart was far from God. They began to live just like all the other nations, the pagan nations around them. They began to look at them and idolize them and said, oh, I want what they've got. I want life like they have it. 
And so they begin to worship those other gods. And they set up the high places to worship these other gods. They worship the ashram. They worship the god of Molech. They worship Baal. They worshiped all of these gods because they looked at their neighbors and said, I want that life. And so the one God wants for me. Oh, they said, oh, yes, praise Yahweh, but we're not going to serve Yahweh. We're going to serve Baal. We're going to serve the ashram. We're going to serve these other gods because that's really the life that we want. And, you know, this very same thing happens in our own time. The United States, America, is the most prosperous nation in the world today. And with our prosperity, recreation has become our God. Because that's what happens, right? We work to play. We work to play. People work to play. They go to work so that they can get off Friday and go play. And recreation has become God, the, uh, America's God. And that's why we, we come together on Sunday mornings, and especially on Sunday mornings when it's nice and sunny outside. We see sparse attendance. Not only here, but in churches across America because people would rather be outside on the lake, at the ball field, at the track, wherever else, worshiping those other gods instead of joining with the church to worship Yahweh. You give your time and your money to the things you love most. Most people honor God with their mouths. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Yet their hearts are far from him. And it's not just on Sunday mornings, right? It's not just Sunday morning thing. It's not just being out fishing or whatever boating or whatever on Sundays but we see it this kind of practical atheism all throughout the week we see so many people who profess Christ with their mouths but but when you look at their lives when you examine their lives they're no different from the rest of the world right Christ calls us to be absolutely different from the world the way we carry out our lives day in and day out, it should be absolutely different from the rest of the world. People should recognize, man, there's something different about you. You're not like everyone else. You've got a different moral standard than everyone else. And you see, that's the way it is for so many people who profess to be, to be Christians, right? You, you, people profess to be Christians, and they, they hold to Christian morality as long as it's convenient. 
as long as it doesn't make them stick out in a crowd, as long as it doesn't kind of affect what they want in life, as long as they, it doesn't change their, their wants and desires and begins to impede their wants and desires. People love Christian morality as long as it's convenient. But when it stops being convenient, people say, the heck with Christian morality, I'm going to follow the world's morality because it suits me better. Politicians do this all the time. We see this constantly, especially with politicians, but not just them. It's with other people as well. Don't, don't think I'm just getting on the politicians, but we see it with politicians because they're public figures. We see it more readily with them. How many times have we seen politicians who proclaim to be Christians, yet when, when popular opinion shifts on moral issues, when Christian morality is no longer popular, they shift their opinion, not to Christian morality, but to the popular morality of the day. They honor me with their mouths but their hearts are far from me. God, however, calls His people to unwavering fidelity. Unwavering fidelity. Unwavering faithfulness to God and to His Word. What does that look like? Well, verse 13 shows us. Look at verse 13 there. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. Do you see those three action words there? It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. This gives us three ways to demonstrate unwavering fidelity to God. First of all, you demonstrate unwavering fidelity to God by submitting to God's sovereign authority. By submitting to God's sovereign authority. That's in that word there, fear. Fear the Lord your God. Fear in Scripture often indicates a, a disposition of reverence for God's sovereign power and submission to God's authority, His sovereign authority. Yes, there's some fear and trembling, right? There, there's some fear. Because as we see God for who He is and realize His omnipotence, oh, there is some real fear there. We tremble before the Lord because He is a powerful, consuming God. But we also recognize that He is a loving God who loved us and saved us from our sins. And so fear, there's this reverence a reverence for God's power with a word He could wipe out all of creation. Just as He created everything with a word, He can wipe it all out with a word. He is a powerful God. We should fear Him. We should revere and respect His omnipotence. And from that, surrender to His sovereign authority. He is God. He created all things and He rules over all things. 
And so as we come to Christ and as we understand God's saving power in our lives, then we're to submit ourselves to His sovereign authority over us. We're to set aside ourselves, right? Take ourselves off the throne. Take recreation off the throne. Take our jobs off the throne. Take America off the throne. Take every other God that we could have off the throne. Put Jesus on the throne of our lives and bow to Jesus. Surrender. Surrender. Submit yourself completely to God's sovereign authority over your lives. Oh, Lord, you want me to do it like this? Yes, Lord, I will do it like that. Lord, you want me to crucify the flesh along with my own sinful desires and follow you? Yes, Lord, I will crucify my flesh. I will crucify my sinful desires and I will follow you. Submit to God's sovereign authority. Second, serving God with your life. Serving God. Serve there means to, to work for. This is, this is active service to God. Now the way you serve God is by serving other people. Right? Jesus says a, a new commandment I give to you. Right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another even as I have loved you. We serve God primarily by serving other people. And as Christians, the first place that we, we do that, right, is in the assembly, the congregation of God, the church. That's not where we, we don't quit there, right? We, we serve God in the world. We serve God at work. We serve God when we go out to play. We, we serve God everywhere. But it begins in the church. And I would dare say, if you're not serving God in the church, you're, you're likely not serving God outside the church either. It begins by using your gifts and talents that God has given you in the service of His church. So, let me ask the question, where are you serving? Where are you serving? So you demonstrate unwavering fidelity to God by submitting to God's Sovereign authority, serving God with your life. And third, swearing your unfailing allegiance to God. Swearing your unfailing allegiance to God. Swear here doesn't mean just, just swearing by the name of God, giving every oath under God's name, but it really has this idea of swearing allegiance to God by His name because there's no greater name by which to swear, right? No, there's no greater authority. So you swear your allegiance to God by the name of God. That's kind of what it indicates here. And, and Moses makes this clear because he goes on to kind of give this illustration from marriage. We have a, an idea here of the marriage vows, if you will. Right? The marriage vow, when you, when you come and you, you marry husband and wife, they, they join together in the covenant of marriage. They swear allegiance to one another. For richer, for poorer through sickness and health, through whatever life throws our way, I give my allegiance to you. I'm bound to you. And Scripture shows us that, that that's the model 
That's the model for us. If we think about our relationship to God, we, we think about that marriage bond. God is the husband. The church is His people. And we swear our allegiance to Him. We come into that covenantal relationship with God. God, no matter what comes in life. No matter if if you call me to suffer, you call me to poverty, you call me to riches, you call me to sickness, you call me to health, you call me to whatever, God, I'm yours. I swear my allegiance to you. God desires absolute fidelity in His covenantal relationship with His people. And as I said, this fact is illustrated as Moses continues on. He gives this illustration from marriage. It may not be quite obvious, but it is an illustration from marriage. Look at verses 14 through 15. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. That idea of jealousy, especially in the Old Testament, has this idea of, of the marriage. Right? The marriage. We've talked about this a little bit already. But, but it has that idea of being in that marriage. And the only righteous kind of jealousy there is is a jealousy of a husband for his wife or even a wife for her husband. Not some illegitimate thing, right? Not just because, hey, someone paid her a compliment, your wife a compliment, now I'm jealous. No, but, but jealousy, righteous jealousy, is when one spouse breaks the covenantal vows and chases after another lover. And that's the kind of relationship that Moses is bringing to mind here. God is a jealous God. He is a jealous husband. And if you chase after other gods... If you give your love and your allegiance to other things, other people, then God will righteously be jealous. He, will be a, he is a jealous God. He wants our complete allegiance to our covenantal relationship with Him. Yes, we have other allegiances, but none take priority over God. God takes first priority swear your allegiance to god demonstrate your allegiance to god with unwavering fidelity second you demonstrate your allegiance to god with unwavering faith in god unwavering faith in god look at deuteronomy uh, 6 16 verse 16 you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Mesa. Now, the, the incident at Massa or Mesa, however you pronounce that, occurs in Exodus chapter 17, verses 2 through 7. And I'll let you go there and, and study that on your own. But what took place there, this was right after the Exodus. God had brought Israel out of Egypt they had just seen Pharaoh and all of his forces drowned in the Red Sea by the power of God. God had defeated their enemies for them. They didn't raise a finger in any of that. 
God delivered them out of Egypt and he brings them into the wilderness and there they are at Massa and they're thirsty. They're thirsty. Their water reserves have been depleted. There's no natural water around. And what do they do? They begin to grumble against God. Even though they had observed God's love, His grace, His deliverance, now they begin to grumble against God. What are they doing here? They're demonstrating that they don't trust God. They don't trust God. Even as they had witnessed His grace and faithfulness and His deliverance out of, of Egypt, now they come, and where are the provisions, God? They don't trust God's provisions. They don't trust His timing. They say, we want it now. We don't want to wait anymore, God. We want it now. You remember that old commercial? It's my money and I want it now. That's what Israel was doing. It's my, those are my provisions. I want them now, God. I want it now. I don't want to wait I don't trust you to give it to me when I need it. I don't trust you to give me my provisions when I need it. I want it now. But we are not to put God to the test. God calls us to, to demonstrate unwavering faith in Him in every circumstance that life throws at us. Trusting God in every way. Verses 6-19 through 19 reveals again three areas we need to demonstrate faith in God. First of all is that unwavering faith in God's provisions. Unlike the people of Israel at Massa, we're to demonstrate unwavering faith in God's provisions. We're to trust God. Trust His timing. Well, that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. When resources are dwindling, the checkbook seems to be a little short this month. Gas prices are so high. Grocery prices are going up. Oh my goodness. I don't know about y'all, but our grocery bill has just about doubled. And it's easy to say, God, provide. Give. Give it now. But we're to trust God's provisions. We're to trust God's provisions. God's not asleep at the wheel. He knows everything that's going on. These gas prices are not a shock to Him. He knew it was going to happen. He knew it was coming. He knew grocery prices were going to go up. He knew all of this was going to happen. He is in control. The question is, will you trust Him? Matthew 6, 31-33, Jesus says it like this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God first. And all of these things 
will be added to you. Don't worry about provisions. God knows what you need. And no, he may not provide what you think you need in the timing you think he ought to provide it in, but trust God. Will you trust him? Will you have unwavering faith in God's provision? Second, we demonstrate unwavering faith in God by trusting, by showing unwavering faith in God's precepts. Unwavering faith in God's precepts. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. You shall keep His commandments. Be diligent in it. Work hard at keeping God's commandments. Now, what does that have to do with faith? Because as we pursue God's commandments, as we, we strive to keep His commandments diligently, we are showing faith in God's precepts. You know, it's always amazing to me how people are constantly trying to disassociate the church from the Old Testament, especially Old Testament law. As I'm writing my dissertation on Deuteronomy, I've seen this more and more. There's so many people who want to distance the church, do away with the Old Testament altogether, in fact. One preacher says we should unhitch, the church should unhitch from the Old Testament Scriptures. Why? Because people so often see the Old Testament law as oppressive, as oppressive, as something that is to, as archaic and, and no longer effective for people today. But I want to tell you, God's law, Old Testament or new, is not oppressive. God is a good God, and His law is a good and righteous law. Yeah, we approach it differently than the Old Testament saints did. We, we interpret it and we apply it through its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Yes, we, and amen. But it still applies. It's still God's authoritative Word. And it is a good law. We're going to get to this, but... I want to just read this, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which I, command, which I am commanding you today for your good. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. The Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, is for your good. It's not oppressive. It's not meant to keep you down and make you miserable. It is for your good. The question is, do you trust that? Do you trust that? Do you trust that God's commandments are for your good? If you trust that, you will do them. You will practice them. Demonstrate unwavering faithfulness to God by trusting in His precepts, showing unwavering faith in His precepts. 
Third, we demonstrate our unwavering faith to God by demonstrating unwavering faith in God's promises. By having unwavering faith in God's promises, look at verses 18 and 19, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by by thrusting out your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Now God fulfilled part of his promises to Abraham by allowing Israel to go in and take possession of the promised land. But you know, that wasn't all of God's promises. Genesis chapter 12, or excuse me, Genesis 22, 18. God promised Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now Abraham's offspring was a singular offspring. Paul makes this point clear. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul interpreting uh, that passage says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. All of God's promises, all of God's promises, Old Testament and New, find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of the promises of, of God are bound up in Jesus. And what is that promise? 1 John 2.25 And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. That is eternal life in God's eternal kingdom. That's the real promised land. God's eternal kingdom. And that is only realized in Jesus Christ. Trust in God's promise. All of His promises. By trusting in Jesus Christ. Putting your faith, your hope in Jesus. God's promises doesn't include the life on easy street in this world. God's promises doesn't include a life free of sickness and death in this life. It doesn't. But it does promise eternal life, joyful life, a life from free of sickness, a life free from death in His eternal kingdom. But only as we trust His promise of salvation in Jesus will you trust God's promises. Will you trust God's promises? Demonstrate your allegiance to God with unwavering fidelity to God's unwavering faith in God's provisions, God's precepts, and God's promises. Third, Demonstrate your allegiance to God by teaching God's unwavering faithfulness to the next generation. Demonstrate your allegiance to God by teaching God's unwavering faithfulness to the next generation, and I could add, to others. 
right, to the nations, to the world. We should teach of God's unwavering faithfulness. We should teach the gospel, spread the gospel to the nations. But I love this about Deuteronomy. We see this over and over and over again. Teach your children. Teach your children. Instruct your children about God. First, we see here that we are to teach obedience. We're to teach obedience to our children, to our grandchildren. We see this in verse 20 there. When your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? The implication here is that the law, sure enough, is being taught. Right? The law is being taught. When they ask you these questions, it's because the law is being taught. The law is being taught in, in I would say, three, at least three different ways. First, through modeling. Right? We're called to model God's law, obedience to God's law to our children by obeying God's law ourselves and allowing them to observe that, but also through instruction. Through instruction, we saw this commanded last week in Deuteronomy 6, 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So you're to model it. You're to teach it through modeling, through instruction, and third, through discipline. Right? Disciplining your children. Spare the rod and spoil the child, Scripture tells us. We're to discipline our children in the, the ways of the, the Lord and the morality of, of God. Teaching them to keep His commandments. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So you are to teach obedience. And of course, as you teach obedience to kids, what are they going to do? They're going to ask, but Why? Why? Why do we have to do it this way? Why do I have to not lie? Why can I not hit my brother? Why, Daddy, why? Kids always ask why. When they ask why, we are to teach them obedience motivated by grace. Obedience motivated by grace do not miss that do not miss that look at verses 20 through 25 when your sons ask you in time to come what is the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the lord our god has commanded you then you shall say to your sons we were pharaoh's slaves in egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And He brought us out from there that He might bring us in and give us the land that He swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God, our good, uh, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that He might preserve us alive as we are this day. 
And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. When they ask why, Daddy, you tell them about the gospel. You tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Daryl Bach tells the story. Several years ago when our children were still home, at the supper table, we were having a rather warm conversation over ethical issues and how we as Christians respond to them. In frustration, my teenage son blurted out, Why do we have to be such a prehistoric family? While the tone of his voice left something to be desired, his question was profound. How do you respond when a child asks the quest- these questions? Do we simply say this is how we've always done it? Or this is what the church teaches? Or this is how we are obligated as Christians to live? Such responses border on legalism at worst and moralism at best. Or do we take these as glorious opportunities to declare the gospel? How God has lavished on us His grace and our salvation from the power of sin, our hope of eternal life, and the privilege of knowing His will and gratefully living to please Him. Why do we obey God's commandments? Because God loved us. He saved us. He demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We don't obey to win His favor. We've got His favor. We obey because we know God loves us. And if He loves us, His commandments are good for us. We obey in response to His grace. That's what we teach our children. That's what we teach the lost and dying world when they ask, why are you like you are? Why do you hold to such archaic morality as that found in the Bible? Because God loves me. God loves me. He died for me. That's why. Demonstrate your allegiance to God by teaching God's unwavering faithfulness to the next generation. Always, always, always teach obedience motivated by grace. Don't just Pledge allegiance to God. Dear friend, demonstrate your allegiance. With more than words, demonstrate your allegiance. Demonstrate your allegiance to God through acts of unwavering fidelity and faith, and unwavering faith grounded in God's own faithfulness, grounded in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your law. Such a precious and wonderful 
law. Lord, teach us how to apply it to our lives. Some things there certainly, Lord, are hard for us to understand, especially when we're, we're dealing with commandments that you had given 10,000 years ago. But Lord, give us understanding. Let us, dis- let us see how we can honor you and glorify you in this world by living in obedience to you. Giving, surrendering completely to your will in our lives. And Lord, let us never lose sight that obedience is never about winning your favor, but it's a response from your grace your favor that you have already given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh Lord, if there's any today who've never trusted in Jesus, oh Lord, may they see your love. May they see your grace and begin their life of allegiance to you. By first and foremost, surrendering to your Savior, our Savior, Jesus Christ. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.